right now, it's actually easier for me to find software engineers than it is for me to find customer service representatives at TechSmith. And that's not because the job changed. The job is the same. The market has changed. Small businesses are the backbone of the American economy and here in Michigan. But only 50% will make it five years in business. On Mitten Money, host William Zank will focus on helping Michigan-based business owners with the tough questions that will help them succeed. How do I expand my business? What options do I have for retirement? How do I move forward? Having worked with small business owners throughout his entire career and with excellent attention to detail and strong analytical skills, William Zank of TriStar Trust will unearth answers to these questions and more. You can subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Mint Money. On today's show, we're excited to kick off what is the first part of our new HR miniseries. Over the next two episodes, we dive headfirst into talking about some of the best practices around hiring, pay, benefits, and talent retention. Our first guest in this miniseries is Dan Porta, who is a senior corporate recruiter with TechSmith. Dan brings a wealth of experience to this episode as he's worked as a recruiter across the tech industry, healthcare, and manufacturing industries. We dive into some lively topics such as remote working, building relationships with talent centers, and what benefits are most popular with workers in 2021. So welcome, Dan, to Mint Money. William, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. If you were to talk to one of my friends, I'd tell you I like to talk. So this is literally perfect. (laughs) I think this is the perfect place to be then. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your background for the listeners out there? It looks like that you've been a recruiter across a wide range of industries so far in your career. What made you initially interested in becoming a recruiter? I've had... I think actually a different story than a lot of recruiters out there. I'm working with TechSmith Corporation now here in the Okemos area as a senior corporate recruiter. And that's the full gamut from software engineers, which are hiring an insane amount right now, which is interesting in this climate, to your VP of different departments, marketing, sales, interns, all of it. But I've also, like you mentioned, been in multiple other industries. As I've kind of discovered and has been brought to light, most other recruiters, they kind of started within a function of an organization. They were an engineer first, and now they hire engineers. They were in finance first as an advisor or as an analyst or something like that, and then they become a recruiter. I've been a recruiter the whole time, and it's not what I went to school for. I didn't know it was a job. I was a less than academic-minded student out of Saginaw Valley with not a high GPA. I don't have to put it on my resume anymore. So that makes me really happy. I was waiting tables for like two, three months after I graduated. I had a classmate call me up, say, hey, we've got an opening for this amazing, most phenomenal company. And I was like, I'm your sucker, man. It was not a phenomenal experience, but it got me into recruiting, which I found out is what I love to do. And so it was a staffing within the healthcare industry. That is a tough industry to be in, especially, basically I was staffing In both facilities and in individuals' homes, pediatric nurses for pediatric patients who are on some form of life support. So like I am super responsible at age 22 all of a sudden, but it was the people part that really drew me in. And then from there, people are in every industry and that's why I've been able to kind of bounce around from place to place. I appreciate mentioning that. If you don't mind me asking, what advantages does being a recruiter throughout your whole career give you over someone who may have transitioned into being a recruiter from originally starting off their career in another position? There's advantages and disadvantages to both. Ultimately, it comes down to like depth versus breadth. 
I've got a lot of breath. I can talk to you about flexo printing and I could talk to you about how the reimbursement rates for PDN nursing is and how to do benefits and payroll. And I've done personnel management and performance review and so on and so forth to what kind of coding language certain things are written in and containerization. So I've got the breadth. I've touched so many different industries. And then usually the people who started off as an engineer, they're only going to hire engineers. So they have that depth. They themselves know what the college curriculum is like. They themselves know what the day-to-day is like. So In my current role, I hire breadth. So I'm hiring everything. Somebody who started off as an engineer may struggle a little bit with that because it's not one process for the engineer, the same process they went through three years before, so on and so forth. But man, they have a sweet spot when they're talking to engineers that I just can't even, I can't come close to. That's what they are. So it's just a different take on it, but I think both are awesome. Sure. That's a good point you bring up. And so once a business decides for what kind of role they want to hire for, How do you go about finding that talent? Does that change based off their seniority level? You've got industry. That's going to tell you a lot because the way in which you hire for manufacturing, entry-level manufacturing is vastly different than how you hire for entry-level software engineers. I remember we used to just get emails with resumes and the resumes for manufacturing used to say, hey, I've never been to jail. I've got my own driver license available for work on Monday. And we'd give them a call. Like that was a great lead. But now in the software engineering industry, obviously we're looking for a lot more. Also it depends on the market. That's a huge determining driver in how we go about recruiting. And I can touch on that and one of my other questions, but seniority level as well. So if a position is low skill, usually it's also high effort, but those positions are I don't want to say high effort. I think most positions are high effort, high physical demand, low skill, high physical demand. Hey, take this and move it over here, or I need you to clean this or service this, so on and so forth. Those positions, if they don't take a ton of training and are relatively menial, then it's a little bit easier to find people. That's not the case right now. That's why you see McDonald's with $15 an hour. So the market shifted that on its head. Right now, it's actually easier for me to find software engineers than it is for me to find customer service representatives at TechSmith. And that's not because the job changed. The job is the same. The market has changed it. So there's a lot of different tools we can use. I think that there's like kind of two main methodologies. And then there's one that matters no matter what methodology you're using. The first is post and pray as we call it. I'm going to post a position on Indeed, LinkedIn, Glassdoor, Handshake, Dice.com, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going to throw all this money at it and just hope that somebody applies. I don't know who, I don't know when, but I've got enough money invested into this. It's got to work. And that's not always the case. For some positions, depending on the market and the industry, that's the exact recipe. And we call that passive recruiting. I'm very passive. I let the money do the work for me. Active recruiting is not a lot of money investment and a ton of time. And so you kind of want to be picky on when you do what. You can't do active recruiting all the time. And that is when I am going as an active recruiter after passive candidates. These people are employed. They're not out in the job market or anything like that. They're just existing on LinkedIn. They're existing in a database somewhere. And it's actually really 
scary how many databases we all exist in. You know, you register for a conference or an event or an association gathering, we can probably find your name, number, and all of that information from Eventbrite or whatever it may be on the web. And so we go and we look for the people who have these specific skills that we're looking for, and we message them. These passive candidates, there's a lower success rate. That's why it's even more effort to do that. But all of that, I think, can be thrown out the window if you have a poor talent pipeline and talent brand. So that's kind of the overarching truth that has to be there. If your glass door looks trashy and you got 2.3 stars, good luck. If you've completely treated every candidate for the past three years really poorly in the interview process or your employees poorly, like people talk, people aren't going to want to come to your organization. And the antithesis is true. If you're giving phenomenal world-class experience to your candidates, to your employees, they will tell people. That makes your or my job as a recruiter a lot easier here at TechSmith. No, that's an amazing answer. I mean, there's so many possibilities to go dive into, but it really does sound like, I mean, in a way, even if you be able to go treat the interview process right across all candidates, I mean, it seems pretty straightforward, but it sounds like if you're able to go do that, the referrals, I mean, should come pretty naturally when you do go post something like that. So, I mean, I guess, let me just go ask this question. How important is it to go have a high glass door rating? I think sometimes just like any review site, Yelp, et cetera, it can be kind of the bathroom stall wall of the internet. Hey, I this person stinks and I didn't like this, so on and so forth. But if we can be reasonable and say that the pieces of the truth are there and When you go there, because I've been a candidate too, and I get nervous too, and I do my research too. And when I do my research, I go to Glassdoor and I don't read one, two, three, four, or five. I read all 96 comments or all 105 and I look for trends. And if there are trends within certain positions, certain departments, that's where the truth kind of meter goes up. So do that because where I'm at currently at TaxBuff, We've got a like a 4.2, 4.3 rating. That's really, really good on Glassdoor. I think the average is 3.6. Some companies try to offer incentives to their employees to try to skew those numbers. So that's another reason why you don't want to just take it at face value. Of course, I can definitely see how those can be skewed over time or maybe for better or worse experiences. And so kind of working back to a point you mentioned earlier about the active recruiting cycle. So let's go try and paint a picture a little bit. You're actively recruiting a software engineer to go join a team at TechSmith. What are some of the strategies and tips that you would try to help convince someone from out of town to go relocate to Okemos, Michigan? And this is no offense to Michigan by any stretch of the means, but for a software engineer, I imagine that there could be opportunities for them pretty much anywhere across America. They can pretty much pick their ticket. They, if they want to be in sunny California, if they want to be in Colorado and ski all day, I guess, how do you attract people to Okemos? How do you attract people to Michigan? Great question. So yeah, we are not SoCal. The weather here is not like that. And to be honest, that's one of the biggest things. You cannot fight the science of it. And the science says that here in the Northern Hemisphere, it's cold. And if people don't want cold, we can't change that. I can't talk my way out of that. I can say, hey, we'd love to have you, but I get that. Not a problem. If this opportunity opens up remote, is it okay if I give you a call? I don't want to lie to you. It gets cold here in Michigan, man. It gets really, really cold. So 
And that doesn't sound like it's going to be a fit. Some of the other things that I like to talk about, especially bringing people from like large metropolitan areas. And I like to talk about the seasons here that we have like legitimately all four seasons and they're beautiful. I'll talk to them about my favorite places and here in the Lansing area, how it's like a big city, but it's like small enough where you can know all the hot spots to eat, all the good places to go, lots of events, festivals. But one thing about Michigan, and I didn't realize this until I went out of state, is that we talk about distance in minutes. And I think that in big cities, you don't do that. Here in Michigan, while we don't have a huge like infrastructure of trains or anything like that, we do have buses, which is great. But like large in part, the amount of miles it is, is just about the amount of minutes it's going to take it. That's something that the money can't buy is my life back. That's amazing. The other thing is how far the dollar stretches here in mid-Michigan. I'm very bold. I'll ask people, hey, you're out in LA. What, if you don't mind me asking, what are you paying a month in rent? I'm paying about three grand. Three grand? Buddy, you could be sitting on five acres right now with a three-stall garage and a pool out back if you're paying that monthly in your mortgage. There's a big difference in that cost of living here. But ultimately, it doesn't necessarily matter. The biggest reason why people move from place to place are relationships, whether that's relationships with their parents who are aging, that new girlfriend. We just lost a candidate because he said, my girlfriend wants to move to Detroit. Man, I can't compete with love. Sorry. We just gained a candidate out of Wisconsin because his girlfriend's coming here to MSU. So there's a lot of factors. You can just kind of talk about legacy and cost of living and time back in their life. I'm glad you brought up both those points. I mean, really highlighting some of the good advantages that Michigan has to go offer for the people. I mean, those are just, I think those are things that we just take for granted on a day-to-day basis. And so I really appreciate you mentioning that. And going through the interview process, let's just kind of go pick on this example again. What is the ideal number of interviews that a business should have? And between that, should there be more phone calls? Should there be more in-person meetings? And then also, how'd you manage all this during COVID? Because I can imagine that probably threw a big wrench into this whole process. It all depends. There is no perfect number to be at in perpetuity. It should be changing. If you're a company that produces a product and that product doesn't change for five years, you're dead in the water. And I think that that's true when it comes to recruiting as well, because the market is changing. Industries are changing. I think you can justify up to three steps in an interview process in total. Beyond that, I think it's just asinine. You know this candidate and now you're having self-doubt. You are worried. So what we like to do at Taxsmith is we usually do a phone screen. That could be 30 minutes or an hour. For our software engineers, it usually includes like a live coding exercise. And then you, what we would do is we would bring you in for like a 90-minute panel just to meet the team. And then the last thing we did was an all-day, all-day interview, okay? We've made a lot of changes to that. Well, why? Well, one, I wasn't a huge fan of the all-day interview, to be honest. I went through it. I started at 9, went to 4.30, had an hour-long presentation. And even over lunch, I was meeting with people, right? That's a long time. But the market, we were losing candidates because our process took too long. If you have three steps in your interview process, count that as three weeks. If a company can move faster than you, they're going to be able to talk to the candidate, get them an offer. And that's ultimately what the candidate wants. Most candidates aren't shopping around. Sometimes when you come out of college and you don't have these bills and a mortgage and kids and you can shop around. And I highly recommend it. Most of the time, your adults who were laid off because of COVID aren't shopping around. I need a paycheck and this person is giving me a paycheck first. So they won't even hear your offer. So a little bit of that is is early bird gets the worm. So we had to adjust from a three-step down to a two-step. 
We also, instead of a phone interview, utilize a one-way video interview tool. Have you heard of that, William? No, I've not. Do you mind explaining a little bit about that? It's interesting. And I think in some scenarios, it's applicable and some it's not. So basically, we would send you, the candidate, an email saying, hey, William, man, thanks so much. We're super excited that you apply. We read your resume. We read your cover letter. We're interested in moving forward to the next step. The next step is this one-way video interview tool. Click the link to find more. They click the link. They'll be prompted through all of this. Make sure that your camera is set up and your microphone. And then basically what happens is they're the only one on the Zoom call, if you will. It's not actually Zoom. It's facilitated in other means. But they're the only one on the Zoom call. It's like a teleprompter comes up. Boom, here's question one. They'll have 30 seconds to kind of review it and kind of think about it, which from a candidate's perspective you don't get 30 seconds to just, hmm, after they state a question. So that's an advantage. They get 30 seconds to think about it and they get two minutes to respond. And that's their response is recorded. And then they'll do that for about 10 questions or so. That does a couple of things. That means that the candidate can do it whenever they don't have to sneak off. I don't know about you, but I've totally snuck off to my car, you know, on lunch and like I'm in there. I don't have the AC on because it's too loud on the phone call. So I'm sweating in there. I have no time to eat my lunch, but I've got a phone interview. This means you could do it at 1 a.m. because you're not dependent upon another person's schedule, which is great. And that's great for the hiring manager as well. Just gives us some additional information. So we've replaced our phone interview with that for some positions. And then we just do one interview. And that interview could be like three hours long. It might just be, hey, meet the team. Hey, come and sit down with the team so you can see their day today. Our goal because we think that it is a two-way street, is that we want to be able to gather enough information about the candidate to check the boxes to see if they're a good fit. And they should be doing the same. I think that if you're going into a place and the only interview step is an hour-long interview and they extend you an offer, be afraid. Have questions. Because you don't know these people. It's impossible. And you're going to spend the majority of your waking hours with these people that you've only known for an hour. And they're going to control your income your career path to some point, your happiness level, your work-life balance. Like, I hope you know that. We want them to have a good experience, be able to gather enough information as well as us. Also, what industry you're in. This is crazy. One of my hiring managers when I was at Dark Container Corporation, Brian Azar, awesome guy. He worked out at HP and he said what would happen back then, like right in the initial boom, he said, I would get a resume at my desk at like 10 o'clock. I'd call the person, meet them for lunch. That was the interview. And if I didn't have an offer to them out by three o'clock that day, I would lose them because it was so competitive. And that's a big part because of geographic reasons. So when you're designing your number of interviews as the recruiter, you got to take a look at the full landscape. If you have an eight step process, you're not going to hire anybody. So you just got to see what works for you. Wow. So a lot to unpack from that. Now, if you don't mind me asking, was there any internal pushback when you eliminated some of those steps in the process? And so let's just go take it from what you mentioned from a three-step process, maybe to a two or even you do the teleprompter and then you just come in for one interview. I mean, did you see any internal pushback? I could imagine that I guess people are creatures of habit. And so if they're so accustomed to doing the interviews in one such way, it could be hard to break that habit and be able to go explore some of these other opportunities that they have? The short answer is yes. What's good and what I enjoy about the culture at TechSmith is that we are one of continual improvement. And so, yeah, concern was definitely expressed, but there was trust there, which was awesome. I don't have these 
I'm not sticking to my guns like, hey, one way video interview is the best thing since sliced bread and we better do it or else. And we'll never need to do anything else. I say like, hey, this is a duel. Hopefully it helps. Like that's my goal is to help you all out, create a better candidate experience. Ultimately, that's my number one goal because they're my customers. And if we don't like it, we don't have to use it again. What happens is they end up liking it. Now, we don't use that tool, that video tool for all areas because not all areas have found the value. They're like, I miss the dialogue. I need the dialogue. This is a sales role. And they're going to be talking back and forth with people. I need to be able to experience them do that as many times as I can. That totally, totally makes sense. We have an IT person or a tech support or an intern. That's super beneficial for interns. So it just depends on the rule completely, but there is absolutely pushback on that. Big pushback from going from an all day down to a more condensed version because there's the whole, I call it the fraternity mindset. And I say this because I was in a fraternity. I was totally fraternity guy is people are like, yeah, well, we've always done that. That's like the thing around that's tradition as fraternities would say. And it's like, yeah, but my process when I hired him was, I even said it, I was like, yeah, I went through an all day too. And it's like a point of pride or like a pin that we wear. And it's like, yeah, how long ago were you hired? 12 years ago. And we're hiring the same way we did 12 years ago. That's not good. We need to change. No, appreciate that. And so switching topics now a little bit into talent centers, how important is it for you to build relationships with those local talent centers, such as universities, state agencies, and then what value can this add through the whole recruiting process? That is probably our bread and butter at TechSmith. And if you're a smaller organization or a larger organization, it's going to be your bread and butter. Brand name is great. People are going to flock to Amazon because it's Amazon. They're going to go to Apple because it's Apple. They could literally never look at the glass door or anything like that, but they're just like, I love my iPhone. I'm going to Apple. Simple as that. But not everybody has that global name. So we don't have that branding. Where we excel most are in those intimate settings with students or at fairs or in an exchange, kind of a handoff like, hey, Dan, this is Joe from Capital Area Michigan Works. I've got Susan here who's amazing at what she does. She's a candidate looking for this. Here you go. In those intimate settings, because Joe already talked us up, he told the story and we didn't have to pay Joe to tell the story. MSU, when we work with those partnerships, and we've had one of the longest standing partnerships, at least in the College of Engineering Career Services there, they will give us opportunities. Hey, come in on this class, come help out with these mock interviews, come do these resume critiques. There's all these opportunities to engage in these intimate events or intimate arrangements to where we get to tell our story and it doesn't cost us $1.3 million to launch a commercial. So those partnerships are so valuable to us. I appreciate you mentioning that. And so diving now into kind of the whole remote work setting. So 2020 was definitely an immersive year for people within remote work. How much of an importance has remote work and flexible work schedules become with potential hires? And have you seen this trend rise over time? Yeah, it's huge. Here's the truth of it. And I don't think a lot of people want to admit to it and or they're slow to admit to it, that the market drives the employer and the market is moving remote. And employers used to be able to say, well, we can't do remote. We're not set up to do remote. We wouldn't be able to be productive remote. Now the veil was just uncovered. Everybody just worked for a year and a half remote with insane stress, home stress, work stress, and they came out on top. And now they're like, come back to the office. And they're like, but answer me one question. Why? 
and most companies can't. And so they look for the company that is willing to offer them remote. Do younger applicants and older applicants favor different things when it comes to the total employment contract? Would one particular age class favor, let's say, pay more? Would one favor benefits more? Would one favor remote work more? They do. It's definitely different. And ultimately, it comes down to the individual, but you can see trends within both subsets. I think we're yet to see the impact of remote internships for another two, three years, right? Until this whole generation of people come out and all they've known is remote work. I have a hundred plus people I've hired that have never seen our office. I've never met them in person. And a good portion of them were new grads. So they've never worked in person. So they're skewed. They don't know what they don't know. As far as benefits, one of the benefits that we just started offering is basically we're going to help pay your student loans off. That's super, super huge for someone who's fresh out of college. That's something that they're looking for. And guess what? Only 4% of employers offer that. I'm super glad that we are. It's a little bit of like a differential for us, but like, come on, companies. We all know that student loans are insanely expensive and you could do a lot of damage. I think older generations start to look towards that 401k match. That's super important. Students who are fresh out of school don't necessarily see the value in health insurance yet because they're like, man, I've got another five years and I'm my parents and like, we've got great health insurance and I want to like shake the candidates when I'm telling them about it. I'm like, you don't understand how good this is. And they're like, no, I don't. I'm going to be on my parents for the next five years. So a lot of times those fresh grads don't take advantage of the health insurance, which is a huge benefit at most companies. I appreciate mentioning that. And so switching topics now to talking a little bit more about yourself, what are some things that you like to do in your free time? Man, I got two boys. Keep me busy for sure. I like to do woodworking, Legos. I actually just moved out to the country and I'm a city boy. I grew up Metro Detroit area in the burbs where there's a 7-Eleven on every corner. Now I sit on like two acres. I counted 13 deer yesterday while I was mowing my lawn and turkeys. We're looking to slow down a little bit, get some chickens, have a garden, do some canning, old man stuff. That's how I feel now. But that's what I enjoy to do. Also backpacking, overnight backpacking throughout Michigan. Just taking a dip in nature is awesome. So that basically sums me up. Do you have any favorite spots in Michigan you like to go to? Absolutely. Just went there two weekends ago with my boys. I brought, and they're younger, they're seven and four. And I brought them overnight backpacking with me. This is the second year I did it the year prior to. It's called Manistee River Trail. Probably the prettiest backpacking in lower Michigan. And it's relatively populated. So you don't have to worry about seeing any animals or scary things. There's none on the trail. Absolutely gorgeous. It's by Mesick, not far from Ludington. You can go kayaking down that river. We actually float down the river on tubes. So we'll backpack to our campsite, walk back up the river, and then float back down to our campsite. It's an absolute blast. We go every year, a couple times a year. No, that's great. And so for listeners who want to learn a little bit more about yourself or TechSmith, what are some good resources for them? Just head on over to www.techsmith.com forward slash careers to learn more about kind of the culture. Head over to Glassdoor, head over to Indeed and look at the reviews. I don't want to just paint the best picture. Take a look at it all. If you want to connect with me, LinkedIn, Daniel Porta, P-O-R-T-A, feel free to connect with me. I'll connect with you. I'll chat with you. I'll help you out however I can, whether it's for coming in at TechSmith or whether it's just helping you out in your career, you've got some questions. I'm very passionate about what I do. Whenever you ask somebody, hey, tell me about yourself, the first thing they say is what they do. That's where a lot of people put their career, their focus is in their career. And if I can help you to change that narrative to something that you're really proud to say, 
or a company that you're really proud to work for, then that's awesome. I helped play a role in your life. So if you need help with resume review or anything like that, I do them for free. Eventually, I'm going to have to charge because I get a lot of requests for them. Like I got to differentiate somehow like, hey, two bucks, man, something. But yeah, I do that stuff. So if you guys want help, more than happy to help out. Thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. And so thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Mid Money. We love all the feedback that we received. So please let us know if you have any. Additionally, please follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, William. Pleasure. You've been listening to Mitten Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at tristartrust.com. <laughs>